It's awesome to be in the presence of God because Jesus is worthy of everything that you are. Mark chapter 7, we'll look at verses 31 through 37 today. Let me just start it out. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. Now, Jesus goes into this region called the Decapolis, which means ten cities. It's been called, I think this is kind of cute and funny, Rome away from Rome. Rome away, get it? Rome away from Rome. And, and so it's kind of like this this mini Rome. It's kind of a center of cultural and religious and philosophical activity for the Roman people. And and Jesus comes here, and, and it's really interesting because in this passage right here, and if you looked at kind of the same story in the book of Matthew, you're going to see that there's this great crowd, like the stories we've been looking at through the, the sermon series, there's this great crowd of people who are, are waiting for Jesus and want to be around Jesus and, and come to Jesus. And, and it's fascinating because Jesus has been to the Decapolis before, and the response was was not like this at all. Let me read you from Mark 5. I'll read verses 1 through 18 first. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. When Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and he told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Interesting, right? Because we're studying how everybody wants to come to Jesus. And here's a story in this Gentile kind of area, this non-Jewish area, where the people are actually leaving, asking Jesus to leave. And, and, and we don't know why they do that. There's a couple ideas. Maybe they are angry or scared about the pigs dying, and, and, and their thinking could go one of two ways. Hey, you're a jerk for killing all of our livestock, and so we don't like you. Will you get out of here? Or it could be like, hey, if this guy sticks around too much, and he's putting a bunch of demons in our animals, then we won't have anything to eat. And so, hey, we're a little worried about this. Will you please leave? Or maybe they're just like some people today. We're like, man, if I keep experiencing this Jesus guy with his power and his authority and his ability to remove demons, then maybe I'll like him and I'll have to change my life. Maybe I'll think that he's worthy of me and, and then things will go, will go differently for me. And I don't want that. So, hey, Jesus, get out of here. Now, what's fascinating is now Jesus is coming back. And there's these huge crowds. And so it, it begs an important question, right? Why are there huge crowds now? waiting for Jesus, running to Jesus, wanting to be around Jesus, when before they were asking Jesus to leave. 
I think the answer lies again in Mark 5, verses 18 through 20. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go to home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This guy says, I want to go with you, Jesus. I mean, you just saved my life. You just changed my life. You've given me a new life. You've done everything for me. And Jesus says, no, I want you to go back to your people. And the next time Jesus shows up in the same area, the people are excited to see him. And I believe that it is because of this man's testimony. I believe this guy went home. He said, hey, look, you used to not be able to tie me down even with handcuffs, but now, look at me, I'm in my right mind and things are good. And it's because of this guy named Jesus. He did this for me. And I think the next time Jesus comes, everybody's like, man, maybe this guy is worth checking out because look at what he's done for this person. Now, there's two really, really important things that, that come from this. First of all, Theological, philosophical, and biblical education are not important for telling others about the worthiness of Jesus. I mean, think about this guy, right? Here's what this guy knows about Jesus. He seemed nice, and he took the demons out of me. Now, Jesus might have sat there, and he might have explained a few other things, like, hey, I, I'm the Messiah, the Savior, the Promised One. He might have said, hey, you know, the kingdom has come upon the earth in me, and it's going to be a spiritual kingdom. Maybe there was a little bit of explanation, but this guy hasn't gone to Bible college for sure. He hasn't spent his whole life in church, and immediately he goes, and he's able to reach these people with the worthiness of Jesus. And here's the thing that I, that I hear. I really actually hear this from people. They say, well, I'd love to tell others about Jesus, but I don't think I will have the answer to their question. I mean, what if they ask me about scientific stuff? And what if they ask me about some of the problems that they think they see in the Bible? I won't know what to do with that. What's fascinating is that Rome was a very philosophical place. It's very Hellenistic. It came out of the the, the Greek nation, and, and they kind of took a lot of their customs, and, and they were inventing philosophy at the time. And, and they loved to sit around, and they loved to debate philosophical topics. And so I can picture this guy going back into his town, and be like, hey, there's this Jesus guy. He's the savior of the world. I think he might be God in human form. And he said that a spiritual kingdom has come upon us, and look what he did for me. And I can imagine that there was a lot of people smarter than him, more educated than him, that are like, hey, I got this question and this question and this question. This guy's probably going, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I know what he did for me. And, and what I see in this passage is the excuse, I don't know what to say to them. I mean, uh, they need to talk to a pastor or something. That doesn't work because this guy had far less education than the average Christian person in the church today. And yet, he changed the entire culture of those ten cities, the Decapolis, in that area. The other thing that I see here that's just really important and is something that, that if you're in a connect group, you've, you've kind of been talking about, I think, uh, at least been alluding to it, and that's this, that, that our stories about Jesus, for, for those of you who are Christians, our stories are so valuable when it comes to sharing the worthiness of Jesus. 
Truthfully, in our current culture, we still think for some reason that we can argue people into Christianity. If I just have the logical answers and the correct apologetic, as the word goes, then I can talk this person into being a Christian. But our world right now that we live in doesn't really care. They're like, yeah, I don't care if it adds up, if one plus one is two. That doesn't matter to me at all. But one thing that our world loves right now is story. The power of story in our culture, always really, but right now especially, is just overwhelming. People love to hear stories. And not only do they love to hear them, but they're more impacted by stories than they are bullet points. And this guy... Going back, not knowing anything, says, here's my story. I was chained. I was breaking chains. I had a whole bunch of demons in me. And this guy, Jesus, came and he took him out of me. And I think he's awesome. And people responded to that story. And I believe in, in today's culture that people will respond to your story. I don't think a great leading point is, hey, you need to, go, you need to know Jesus or else you're going to hell. You want to have a conversation about it? I think a, a much better conversation is this. Hey, My life was difficult and hard and still has its struggles, but here's how I get through them. It's this guy named Jesus. I love him, and here's what he's done for me. I think people respond to that pretty well, no matter if it's 2,000 years ago or today. And so here's what I would ask of you. If you're a Christian, I, I would just... I would really encourage this. This is Just take this home, and, and this is kind of your homework. I would just really ask this. I would ask that if you are a Christian, uh, you would write down your story. You would go, okay, what is it that Jesus has done for me? And of course you'll go, well, if you're a Christian, you'll say, well, Jesus saved me from sin, and, and he makes, me, makes it so that I can go to heaven, and that's great. I think that should be included in your story. But beyond that, what has Jesus done for the life that people can see now? And what is it that has resulted from your giving your life to Jesus? Is there more joy? Have you been able to come out of something that was an addiction or a struggle? Do you, are you able to face circumstances in a different way? Have you been able to go through things that, that nobody else would be able to go through and, and yet have some kind of weird peace inside of you? I would just encourage you, really, not just kind of, I'm, I'm asking you, when you go home, uh, to write down, what Jesus has done for you. Here's the other thing that I would ask for you. Uh, some of you, if you've been around for this sermon series, have written some names on a, on a card that says worthy at the top and, and you've been praying for those people, hopefully, that they would know that Jesus is worthy of their entire lives. And, and here's what I would ask from you. I would ask that you would begin to pray and look for ways that you could share your story with those people. You have it written down now. I wouldn't take it and start reading it. That might be a little weird. Hey, oh, you got a second? Let me read this to you. No, I, I would look for ways, though, where you can bring up your story about what Jesus has done for you in conversation. I'm looking for that as I was preparing. And uh, one of the people on my list, I don't know very well, uh, but we have some interactions. And, and, I'm, uh, and I really, God has put them on my heart. And, and I'm really just now looking for a way. Not that I can sit down and say, hey, dude, you've got to become a Christian right now. Uh, let's talk this out and I'll give you all the biblical arguments I can. But just saying, hey, guy, here's how I have been impacted by Jesus. And I would encourage and ask you to do the same. And here's, here's the other thing. If you're not a Christian, so far I haven't said anything that matters to you. This is what I'm going to ask. Maybe it's super weird, uh, but, but I, I think you'll be blessed by it, if I can use a really Christian word. I think that you would just, you would think it was awesome. I encourage you, if you're not a Christian, to find a Christian and say, hey, I would like to know your story of how Jesus has impacted you. 
I just like to know why it matters to your life. I don't want the hard sell. You can even tell them that. I give you permission. I don't want you to try to shove anything down my throat. I just want to hear your story about why you think this Jesus guy is awesome and what he has done for your life. Now, now, just so you know, a little FYI, if they're not sitting here uh, and, and listening to the sermon, then they might be like, whoa, wait, what? Uh, uh, and start stumbling over the words. You'll have to forgive them. Just forgive them and let them put together their thoughts and then and then let them just take a moment and tell you their story. But if you're not a Christian, I really just would encourage you to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a Christian that I know. I'm going to ask them, hey, what's so great about Jesus? What has he done you can even ask it if you really are like, if you're like anti-Jesus, you can ask it like that. What has Jesus done for you? You can do that if you want to. And hopefully they'll be able to give, I believe they'll be able to give you an answer if they really have experienced the love, the grace, and the mercy of Jesus. And so I encourage that. Verse 32 says, There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. So Jesus has just healed the daughter of this woman and, and now these friends come and maybe they've heard about this healing and maybe they've heard about this guy who was demon possessed but they're like, we have to get this guy to Jesus. I love these friends. These are like fantastic people and uh, just for a couple of reasons. First of all, like a lot of the illnesses that we've talked about in the book of Mark, deafness and muteness, which is what this guy is, he's mute and deaf, they were both seen kind of like leprosy, which we talked about a few weeks ago, where it would have been socially unacceptable, and people would have looked at you, and they would have said, what did you do to sin? I mean, what what did you do to cause this? What? I mean, you must have done something. And so you would have been looked down on your whole life for having done something against God, for being lesser in society, because you were deaf and mute. Now, we know that's not true, but... That century thought it was true. And so these friends, I love this. I love these guys. I don't know who they are. Maybe there's girls. I love all of them. They're just awesome. They're, they're great characters in the Bible. And when I get to heaven someday, I will find them. And I will say, hey, you were great friends. And you encouraged me to be a better friend. Because they're friends with this guy. Right? I mean, you, you see the person with leprosy. He didn't have any friend taking him to Jesus. You see the, the lady who was bleeding. Uh, she doesn't have a friend taking her to Jesus. But these guys are like, hey, we're going to take you to Jesus. And, and what's probably true is that this guy is unable to hear the stories about Jesus because he's deaf, right? And so he may not even know the power that Jesus has. The friends of this deaf man are like, hey, we've heard about this guy. I don't know if they're signing to him or what, but they, but they you know, we, we've heard about this guy and maybe there's a chance for you. And so get up and maybe he's like, hey, I'm trying to watch TV and I don't know, what, I mean, whatever I'm doing. And 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 they're like, no, no, you got to see Jesus because he might heal you, you know. And so they bring him to Jesus. I love them and I would encourage you just based on that to be a better friend i mean just be a that's a side note to the whole sermon but we should be better friends right i mean we don't often take time even like a little bit of time out of our days to do something good for our friends even and the people we go to church with uh, even more and so i would just just be a, a person who is a real friend to people and says i'm gonna just i'm just gonna take some time and i'm gonna do something Good for you. Verse 33. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began 
to speak plainly. Now there's two major questions. If you pay attention to that verse, there are two big questions that come to mind. First, number one, question number one, why does Jesus take this man away from the crowd? If you've heard any of the sermons in this series or if you've read the Bible, then you might go, Jesus never has done this before. This is not the normal. I mean, he usually just heals people right in front of everybody and they get on with life. And and there's a bunch of theories on this. And and the main theory is that Jesus does it in order to kind of keep his healing ability secret because he has a mission. That mission is to save people from sins. And he wants to continue that mission. It will be harder if he's got crowds and crowds and crowds, which he already does. But here's the problem with that. Jesus heals in front of people all the time. It would be weird for him to go, well, I've healed all those other hundreds of people, but uh, you, I need to take you over there to heal you so that nobody can know my healing power. In fact, the, the crowd that's around him, if you skipped over and read this same story in the book of Matthew in the Bible, you would find that the crowd is there so that Jesus will heal them and Jesus is obliging. He's healing like one after another, and he's there healing and teaching so long that it turns into what we know as the feeding of the 4,000, where Jesus is like, hey, we have some fish and we have some bread, and we have 4,000 people all magnify that fish and that bread, uh, multiply, excuse me, and, and I will turn it into enough food for everybody. Because Jesus is there healing people so long. So it doesn't make sense that he would just be like, hey, you... I'm going to be too impressive if I heal this guy in front of everybody. I think there's a much better reason. And I love it. And it makes me excited about Jesus. And here's the, here's the reason. When deaf people have surgery in order to just get a little bit of hearing back, noises are very difficult for them to deal with. Even if it's just a little bit of hearing, not a complete hearing restructure. Uh, and I think this is what Jesus knows, that if this person is healed with thousands of people around, that is going to be overwhelming and scary and, and maybe beyond his ability to deal with. I know somebody, I won't name names, somebody in our congregation that went to get a, a hearing test and went to get maybe get hearing aids. And this person went to Costco and they went into Costco and, and they were testing them out and they started walking around Costco. And one of the big reasons that they decided not to get the hearing aid was because they hated hearing the shopping carts. Because they haven't been able to hear well for so long that it was just like too in their head. And it was like, I, I, this is overwhelming. And for this person who's been fully deaf, right, for a, a long time it seems, if all of a sudden, boom, Jesus fully hears, heals his hearing ability and there's thousands of people making noise and and crowding around Jesus and running into him, he's just going to be scared. And so Jesus pulls him aside. And this is awesome. I mean, think about this and the type of compassion and kindness and love that that requires. Jesus is about to heal hundreds and hundreds of people. And yet he knows that this guy needs to be taken away from the crowd. I compare it to the opposite of what you experience if you go to the emergency room. Uh, who's been to the emergency room before? What you got at the emergency room is a lot of people who are sick. Some that think they're sick, right? And, and so you go in, after filling out a whole bunch of work and getting sicker because of all the people around you, then you get into a little room, right? And they take your blood pressure and they do all the tests. And then a doctor comes in. 
A lot of times a very rude doctor, and I don't blame the doctor. The doctor knows that there's a million other people that need to be dealt with. So he comes in, he's like, hey, you probably got this, whatever, he's poking you, he doesn't care how hard he's poking you, he might even slap you, and then he's like, okay, give him this, this, and this, get him out of here, get somebody else in here. He might not say that out loud, some of them would. And this is the experience... When you're at the emergency room, is it not? There's a doctor who's overwhelmed by how many other people need to be dealt with. And so they come in, they do whatever they can to fix you as soon as possible because they know that they need to get on to the next room. Right? Even if you're not at the emergency room, it seems to be the experience these days. And here's Jesus with more to do than any other doctor. I mean, the man's barely getting any sleep. And he comes into the emergency room with a deaf mute man. And he doesn't go, okay, I'm going to heal you. Good luck after that. I don't really care. I'm just doing my job here, man. I mean, you need fixed. I can do it. Here's your deal. Get out of here. Go back with your friends. He says, hey, let's go over here where I can heal you and allow for you to be comfortable with that healing. Isn't that cool? I mean, Jesus is better than the emergency doctors, and and they do a lot. And I like them, uh, even though they're mean to me, because they always fix me. You know, it's like, well, my arm feels better now. He was not a friendly dude, but but my arm feels better. And Jesus is even better than that. And it's really, really cool to me. Now, here's the other big question, if you were paying attention at all. Why does Jesus stick his fingers in the guy's ear, then spit on his finger... And stick it in the guy's mouth. Where I come from, this would be called like an opposite reverse wet willy, I think. Um, I was trying to figure that out. Uh, because you got the wet willy, you're pretty familiar with that. And if you're not familiar with a reverse wet willy, you, uh, you stick your finger in your ear and then you stick it in somebody's mouth. Um, true story. Uh, so this would be like an opposite reverse wet willy, I think. Uh, because it's kind of the opposite of that, where he sticks his fingers in the man's ear, and then he spits on his finger, and then he sticks it in the guy's mouth. It's, it's kind of weird. And and so here here's there's lots of theories. And so I had three options. I, I could stand up here and say, hey, nobody knows why Jesus did it, which would be true. I could have stood up here and listed a lot of different theories that have come out there. I even heard one. Uh, I'll give you one just because it's interesting to me. When somebody bleeds on something, I heard it's a quilter I heard this about. When a quilter cuts themselves quilting and bleeds on their quilt, they can use their own spit to wipe off that blood. But if you use somebody else's spit to try to wipe it off, it won't come out. And so there's something that's very like personal and unique about saliva. And so uh, so one of the theories is that Jesus is identifying himself with this man. I don't think it's right. And you're all looking at me like, that's good. Uh, but but I don't think that's a right theory. I just thought it was very... Fa- I, I more wanted to tell you for the science than I did for the Bible right there. So now you can remember that and nothing else I say today. So I could have given you a whole bunch of different theories that are out there. But, but here, I'm just going to give you the one that I like and I think is the best. And that's this. I think Jesus is communicating with the man through sign. I mean, I don't know that Jesus, uh, I don't know that they had, they didn't have modern sign language, and there was some type of sign language, at least signing that people communicated with, but we don't know whether Jesus knew that or not. But I think what Jesus is doing is he's pulling this guy aside, and he's explaining to the man that he's about to heal him. Sticks his fingers in his ears, 
you need to hear, right? And I'm going to fix your ears. Saliva was known to be a healing thing. And so when he, when he takes the saliva, when he spits on his finger and he puts it in the guy's mouth, I think what he's saying is, I'm also going to fix your mouth, your ability to speak, your mute, or at least he had a, a speech impairment. I'm going to fix that and I'm going to heal it. That's what the spit says. And then if you notice, and it's something very interesting that we don't often see about Jesus, it says that he looks up to heaven as he heals this man before he says the Aramaic word there. He looks up to heaven and I think he's saying, I'm going to heal you by the power of God. You see that? And so what I believe, this is what I think, and there's other theories and, and you can look them up and, uh, and, and research those on your own. You could spend all day researching them, to be honest, if you have nothing else to do. But what I think Jesus is doing is he's saying, I'm going to heal your ears and your mouth through the power of my Father. I think it's that simple. And again, I Jesus is great. I mean, he doesn't have to do that. Again, he could have healed and been done with it and said, go away. I I mean, there's another guy waiting for me. I got another scheduled appointment in just five seconds. But Jesus is like taking time to show this guy love and to communicate with him in a way that he could understand. Jesus is an awesome dude. And we talked about this last week because he doesn't just love the world. He loves you as an individual. But this passage is not about Jesus loving us as individuals, even though it's all over the passage. This passage is about Jesus' ability to heal. Verse 36, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. People look at Jesus and they see him heal this deaf mute man. And it's like, wow, that's amazing. He can heal. And then they offer this phrase that's very fascinating. First, he has done everything well, which is really cool. But then he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Mark records this quote for us. And this quote is actually the crowd referencing an Old Testament passage. Uh, Isaiah 35. And that Old Testament passage, Isaiah 35, which I'll read to you in a second, talks about the coming of a Savior who will heal the deaf and make the mute speak, but that's not it. He won't just heal people physically, but he will heal the world spiritually. Isaiah 35 talks about a person who will come, God in human form, really, who we know is Jesus, who will come and he will make it so that if people will give their lives to him, then they can be healed of all the emotional and psychological and difficult things that they have experienced in their lives. And so when we read this, Mark is saying, look, it isn't just about his ability to heal a deaf and a mute man, which he has the power to do even today. This is about Jesus' ability to heal every aspect of your life. Listen to the words. Isaiah 35, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. 
Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk in that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing everlasting joy, will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. You see, Isaiah 35 It's not primarily about Jesus' ability to physically heal. Isaiah 35 is about Jesus' ability to spiritually and emotionally and ultimately heal. And what it says is that if you get on the highway of holiness, if you give your life to Jesus, if you deem Jesus worthy of your life and you say, I will give you my life, then you can look forward to ultimate healing. You see, we live in a world, don't we? with all kinds of hurts and pains. Don't they start at a young age? My parents were divorced when I was three years old. And I know that 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 affected me on levels that I I can't see today. But I I know that that was somewhere inside of me. And I've gone through just a whole whole bunch of stuff in my life that I I look back on and say, man, that, that was difficult. That was hard. I mean, those were those were things that I shouldn't have got through in the way that I did. And here's what I know. Here's what Jesus has done for me. Jesus has brought healing into my life. I'll tell you, I shouldn't be a guy that's a pastor. I should be a guy that is doing drugs and maybe in jail. That's who I should be. Because of the healing that Jesus has brought upon my life, I stand before you unashamed. And what I want you to hear and what I think Mark is trying to say in this passage is that Jesus is worthy of your entire life because Jesus is the only one who can bring ultimate healing. And only some of that will you experience on this earth, but but you will experience all of that when you die if you have said, Jesus, I give my life to you. You see, the, the world is looking for healing. I mean, go to the self-help section at Barnes & Noble, and, and everybody, it seems, wants to read a book that says, this is how you get fixed. This is what fixes the bad feelings that you have and the difficult things that you go through. If you just meditate on this word long enough, then, then you'll feel healing inside of you. Or, or if you take these steps and practice these seven things every single day, then whatever's inside of you will be healed. But the Bible is saying the only way that you're going to get healed of the emotional difficulties that you struggle with, of the psychological psychological problems that you have, of the physical ailments that, that you that your body experiences is through getting on the highway of holiness, coming to a relationship with Jesus by deeming him worthy of your entire life. I tell you this, you will never, ever, ever, ever experience the healing that you want apart from Christ. And here's the other deal. You all know people who have experienced hurtful things in their life, right? And Jesus is worthy of telling them about because if you really want them to be healed, if you want them to experience fullness in life, then Jesus is the only way. 
And I think we look at people and like, man, I don't want them to think I'm pushy or I'm a jerk or I hate them or anything. So I'm just going to hold back on, on trying to tell them my story about Jesus. But all you're doing is saying, I don't care if you get healed. I mean, I don't care if you get over the, the death of that family member. I don't care if you get over that sin that you committed, that thing you did wrong that you can't get rid of the guilt about. I don't care if you get over the divorce of your parents or the way that your parents treated you. I don't care if you get over that. That's what you're saying if you refuse to say, I will pray for people to know the love of Jesus. And I will do my best to help them know the worthiness of Christ. Because there is no healing, and I want you to know this, there is no healing apart from Jesus. But with Jesus, there is ultimate healing. Some experience now, and I know some of you who sit in front of me, can talk about the amazing healing power of Jesus and what He has helped you overcome in this life. But ultimately, we will experience that if we deem Jesus worthy when we go to be with Him or He comes to be with us on this earth. And so this morning, as you think about the worthiness of Jesus, I mean, we've seen His power. We've seen His willingness to love the unlovable, which we all are, I think. We've seen Jesus, just uh, His mercy towards individuals. And we've seen all these powerful, amazing things about who Jesus is, God in human form and the Savior of the earth and the promised one for thousands of years. But this morning, last week I said I want our eyes to be on Jesus. And maybe this morning, I mean, maybe your eyes need to look inward. You need to think about the hurt, the struggles in your life. And you need to remember that the only way for those things to be healed is Jesus. And some of you, you may know Jesus. And and what I would encourage this morning is that once again you just cling to it. You just say, Jesus, this hurts deep down inside of me. And I don't know what to do with this pain. And I don't know what to do with the struggles in my life. But I know you can heal me. And so I'm asking you to heal me and I look forward to the healing that you will ultimately bring. Then there's others of you who don't know Jesus and I just I just want you to know Jesus. I just want you to know healing. I want you to experience it. Because I I can look back on my life and tell you that the only thing that has gotten me through the loss of, of my great grandmother, for example, the only thing that got me through that is Jesus. I mean, I would have been, she was like a mom to me, and I would have been an absolute wreck. I'd st- I, I mean, I still hurt. Don't get me wrong. There's still pain there, and I, it, it's, she's gone forever, and that's hard. But yet I experienced joy and peace that I would never experience apart from him. And so if you don't know Jesus, then you don't know healing. And you're going to try everything else I know, because I've watched it. You're going to try drugs, and you're going to try sex. You're going to try human relationships. You're going to try money. You're going to try esteem through colleagues and you're going to try intelligence and you're going to try education and you're going to try popularity and you're going to try power you're going to try those things at the end of your life you're going to find out that none of them brought the healing that you wanted so why not just give your life to jesus now and then maybe one more group is is those of us who just know people they hurt but they don't know jesus and we need to again just pray that they would find him. We need to be good friends. We need to say, hey, maybe you haven't experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, but I want you to know my story because I know that this is the guy. And when you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you to Jesus. I'm not going to force Jesus down your throat, but I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring you to him. 
Because He is the one who can provide the healing that you need. Man, if you're a Christian here, you know what I'm talking about. You know the, the healing that you've experienced. and just, just tell somebody else about it. Tell your story. Will you pray with me? Lord, oh man, God, I thank you for the healing that you brought my life. Uh, man, I mean... I don't know who I'd be without you, Lord. It, it, I mean, I just, I would be a mess trying to cover up the pain of so many different things, God. Just heartbreak through the years. And and I thank you, Jesus, for just loving me, uh, caring about me, being there for me, touching me, God, pulling me aside when I need to be pulled aside because it's just, it's going to be too overwhelming. God healing me in public at times when I need healing in public, Lord. And I pray that uh, you would help the people here this morning to experience that. And I know, God, because I know a lot of people in our church, that there are just serious hurts and pains. I pray you'd bring a special level of healing this morning to their lives, God. Just a, just a, a new... Uh, just a new touch from you, God, this morning. God, I, I just pray for those with just like open wounds in their souls. And I pray that your power would, would heal them and, and uh, bring them the whatever they need. I can't even pray for specifics, God, because you know what they need. God, there's some who are, are struggling physically in our in our congregation. And I, I pray that you bring healing to those struggling physically, God, and... We know you have the power to do that. Lord, anybody here who doesn't know you, anybody who will listen to this online, I pray, God, that they would they'd stop today, stop right now, chasing after healing and everything else, and they would turn, God, and get on the highway of holiness that you describe in Isaiah 35. They would give their lives to you and deem you worthy, recognizing that nobody else heals. God, and, and even if they would just try it, even if they would just say, God, I'm going to just pray to you and, and see what you do. I pray, God, that they would do that and you'd respond to those prayers in, in ways that they, they couldn't imagine. You'd speak to them in, like you did this deaf man in ways that they can understand, Lord. And they would be brought to a relationship with you as I'm sure this guy was, Lord, in our passage today. And Lord, I pray for, for all of us who call ourselves Christians. I pray, God, that that we would be people who don't hide the forgiveness that you've offered us, who don't uh, keep it to ourselves. Lord, just, I don't know why, I'm reminded right now of my great-great-grandfather saying to his pastor, Lord, that that if, if Christians really believed what they what they said they believed, then they should be telling everybody. And, and I pray, God, that we would do our best. Uh, God, through subtle subtle means or or not so subtle means, Lord, to tell everybody about about your healing power in our lives. Lord, I know there's there's people's names that we have on 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 our worthy cards, Lord, there's people who I have and, and, and people in our congregation and, and I ask God that you bring those people to salvation. Uh, and I pray that they would understand your worthiness and they would turn to you and find healing, Lord, and, and our people would be sharing you with them praying for them, but sharing their stories with them. And this week, even this week, God, I pray that you would provide opportunities, Lord, 
I pray you'd, you'd provide opportunities where people, the, the story just comes. And, and we just, it's just natural for us to share what you have done for us, Lord. Uh, supernatural for us to share what you have done for us, Father. Lord, I, I love you and I thank you for healing me of so many things. And I pray for healing for people all around us, God. In your name, amen.